Welcome to the Amnesty International podcast. This month was dominated by the Millennium Development Goals Summit, after which world leaders left New York with goodbyes, hugs and some shopping. Amnesty International was there to remind leaders to put human rights at the heart of the summit. It's easy for leaders to come and make a speech here, but converting that into action requires that these become legal rights. We're asking people to take action, to write to their governments, to say we don't want to live in a world where women die unnecessarily giving birth. We don't want children to grow up without their mothers because of a decision that governments have taken or failed to take. We then visit a local community in Pernambuco State in Brazil, where the governor is to decide whether or not to help protect a local community who say a local sugarcane factory has made their homes uninhabitable. Every time they arrested me, I told them I would rebuild my house each time they tore it down. They asked me if I was afraid to die, and I said no, because there's a God up above. And finally, after a short message from musician and singer Sting in Belarus... Hello, my name is Sting, and I'm against the death penalty in all cases, because I believe in human dignity. We'll then be hearing a shocking account of what goes on in the secret prisons of Iraq, and the implications now that US forces are beginning to pull out. But first, some Amnesty International headlines. At a meeting in July, French President Nicolas Sarkozy reportedly referred to irregular camps inhabited by Roma as sources of criminality. Since then, a Ministry of the Interior order provided specific instructions to French police to undertake a, quote, systematic dismantling of illegal camps, prioritizing those inhabited by Roma. Amnesty International said that ethnic profiling of this kind has no place in the EU. The withdrawal of these instructions is the first step that the French authorities must take to show that they are committed to respect for human rights and not to enforce discriminatory policies against Roma and travellers. The Bahrain government suspended the board of a prominent human rights organisation after it criticised alleged violations committed by the authorities. The government has effectively taken control of the organisation with the apparent intent of closing it down. The move is part of an increasing clampdown by the authorities on Shia opposition and human rights activists in the run-up to next month's parliamentary elections. Amnesty International released the report Senegal, Land of Impunity, which documents how in the past three decades very little has improved within the Senegalese justice system. The systematic use of torture to extract confessions remains openly condoned in court proceedings and the perpetrators are seldom held to account when their victims die as a result of mistreatment. We now have five years to deliver on the Millennium Development Goal targets and ensure that respect and promotion of human rights sits at the very core of government's plans. But progress will depend on actions taken now. The summit was packed full of speeches, photo sessions, roundtables, side events, media excitement. You name it, the New York summit had it all. But what it seemed to lack was real space for civil society to engage and influence the process and make sure their voices are heard. Amnesty International highlighted the issue by setting up a maternal death clock in Times Square. Executive Director for the USA section, Larry Cox, hopes it will help make people sit up and listen. The clock signifies that every 90 seconds a woman dies trying to give birth, trying to give life. The clock signifies that every 90 seconds a woman dies unnecessarily. 
not because we don't know how to keep that woman alive, but because we haven't made a decision to keep her alive. We're asking people to take action, to write to their governments, to say we don't want to live in a world where women die unnecessarily giving birth. We don't want children to grow up without their mothers because of a decision that governments have taken or failed to take. We then spoke to Salil Shetty, Amnesty International Secretary General, who joined the launch before heading to the UN, where he addressed the summit later in the week. We know exactly what needs to be done to solve the maternal health problem. The problem is one of political will, the lack of human rights, the lack of these basic health rights becoming legal entitlements. We're here in Times Square today because we've just launched the maternal death clock. Um, and the timing of this is to coincide with the beginning and the inauguration of the Millennium Summit at the United Nations just a few blocks away where world leaders are meeting to review progress on the Millennium Development Goals. Uh, these goals, there are eight of them and they represent the most basic needs of the majority of the world's population. And over the three days when world leaders are meeting at the summit, almost 3,000 women are going to die as the discussions are taking place on what we should do over the next five years. Well, you know, people who are walking around here, they think that it doesn't affect them, so it doesn't affect, you know, it's like doesn't affect their lives on a day-to-day -day basis. But the reality is that if you have very significant sections of the world's population <coughs> living in poverty, living uh, with, uh, whose rights are being denied, it comes back to bite everybody. I mean, it was, it was said a long time ago by a very important leader in the United States that poverty anywhere is poverty everywhere. Who are these women who are dying? They tend to be African-American, indigenous, you know, Latino women. It's women living in slums who don't have a voice, women in rural Africa. These are the women who are losing their lives needlessly because human rights have not been integrated into the Millennium Development Goals. Uh, it's easy for leaders to come and make a speech here, but converting that into action requires that these become legal rights. It's only people who can make a difference in the end, people raising their voice and telling the leaders that they have to convert these promises to action. That's what's going to make a difference. Maria Nazare and her family have lived all their lives on the islands of Sierra Naim, in the northeast of Brazil, fishing, catching crabs and farming. But she could be evicted at any time. This used to be a big farm. They cut down the mangrove trees and took them to the factory to use as firewood. They ended up ruining everything. The government of the state Eduardo Campos is deciding whether or not to protect the land they live on. She refuses to follow the 53 families who have fled since Usina Trapiche, a local sugarcane factory, arrived saying the company has made their home uninhabitable. When they used to release waste, they polluted the water. They killed a lot of fish. Now it's much worse because it's happening all the time. We all used to live with our bellies full. I never heard anybody complain about being hungry. Everything they wanted was there in the mangrove. Maria is sticking it out, come what may. She's refused offers of money to move and endured continual threats and harassment by police. She says her house has been set on fire and she was threatened at gunpoint. Every time they arrested me, I told them I would rebuild my house each time they tore it down. They asked me if I was afraid to die, and I said no, because there's a god up above. The dramatic growth of the sugarcane industry has serious consequences for local communities across Brazil. 
Amnesty International asked Yusina Trapiche to comment on the situation with the Syrianaim community. They have so far failed to respond. Beyond the sugarcane fields in a nearby favela, Donna Maria and the families who left Syrianaim are finding it just as hard to survive. I still miss that place. I would like to go back there if I could because the environment is much better there. Here it's much more difficult because there I didn't need money, but here I do. Back in Syrianaim, Maria Nazare continues to defend her home and only the governor can decide to give this community some security by supporting the creation of a special ecological reserve. But much more needs to be done. Amnesty International is also calling on the governor to ensure that all allegations of threats and intimidation are thoroughly and independently investigated and that those responsible are brought to justice. Hello, my name is Sting and I'm against the death penalty in all cases because I believe in human dignity. In Europe, just one country carries out the death penalty and that country is Belarus. Uh, it's time to change. Make your voice heard, sign the petition against the death penalty in Belarus and let's put a stop to this cruelty for good. Thank you. In a new report called New Order, same abuses. Amnesty documents how Iraqi prisoners are being arbitrarily detained and tortured to obtain forced confessions. We're going to hear the story of one of those prisoners, Ramzi Shahab Ahmad. He is 68 years old and a former general in the Iraqi army who fled in 1998 when he was accused of trying to overthrow Saddam. He and his family were given political asylum in the UK. But in September 2009, Ramzi heard his son Omar had been arrested in Mosul by Iraqi security forces. Ramzi decided to travel to Iraq several weeks later to try to help. Within a month, he too had been arrested and was then not heard from for four months. His wife Rahiha Al-Qasab tells us what happened when she finally received a call from him. When they tortured him, they asked him, call your wife and tell her, to send $50,000 to us, to these people in the, in the Al-Muthanna prisoner, and we, we let you free. And he is clever, you know he is in the army and he is very clever, he said okay. And they give him the same, his mobile when they took from him. And he called me from his mobile and what he said he don't say to me send money you do you have money he said to me I am in this present I am you must call a British ambassador but they don't allowed him to complete the the sentence they took and and they torch him until he 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 like die three days they put electric shock but they don't wake he don't wake up because how much Touch him a lot of he they all the people in the prison they think he is died. He was in a secret prison in the old Muthana airport. He was in a secret prison in the old Muthana airport, but was finally transferred to Al Rusafa prison in April, where he has been visited by a UK official and managed to tell his family what happened to him since his disappearance. He said uh, they put plastic bags on his face. 
This is the first thing, 50 times in a day. And when he lost his feeling and he, he, he don't feel anything, they put electric, a cable electric, and they let him to shock. They put electric cables on him and shocked him. And when wake up, they put the, the plastic keys in again, back again, and the same, all the time the same things. And they put the stick in a bag, in the bag, and um, they put uh, something from the gun. This is the, the small, this is the, the beginning of the gun. They, not the gun, yani, the big gun, the rashash, yani. they put in the bag, the same. And they bring his brother, his son, and ask him to rape his father. And the opposite, they said, you must rape his son. With this gun? And Omar, in that time, he said, please, please let me, I, I talk what you want. And he talk what they, the government want. He's a general in army. Your husband and, was a general in the army. And they do this with him. It's very bad. And they said to him, if you don't talk, you bring your grandson here and you must rape him. And her grandson is only 13 years old. This has been going on for all too long, and there is a culture of abuse that has taken root. It was certainly there during the days of Saddam Hussein, but we wanted to see it change from 2003. That hasn't happened. Amnesty International said it estimates that 30,000 detainees are held without trial in Iraq, although the Iraqi authorities have failed to provide precise figures. As US combat troops end their operations in Iraq, Malcolm Smart, Amnesty International spokesperson for the region, has information on 10,000 detainees who were recently transferred from US to Iraqi custody. Since the beginning of 2009, under what's called the Status of Forces Agreement, the two governments agreed to transfer custody of the prisons and prisoners to the Iraqi forces. Now, many of those detainees held by the US forces had been held without charge or trial for years, without any means to challenge their detention. Uh, we've not made the claim that all those people are innocent of crimes. If they are uh, accused of crimes, they should be held to account in accordance with international fair trial standards. But many detainees say they've been uh, arrested for reasons that they don't know on the basis of information from secret informants who themselves may have been tortured or brutalized to name names of people. So there's not been an independent process. And here we saw this status of forces agreement at the end of 2008 making the way for the transfer with no human rights safeguards written into that, although quite clearly US forces know that the record of Iraqi forces is a very grim one. 
If you want to find out more about what you've heard in this month's podcast, please go to amnesty.org. We also have our letter writing marathon coming in December and you can find out more information about how to get involved by contacting your regional Amnesty International office. Thanks for listening. <laughs>